1: How do you react in the face of adversity? What can we learn from it? And how does it shape our jumps or even our lives? So one day in May, 2015, I read a story and it stuck with me. It was from a woman who was around my age and she shared a very personal journey, one around leaving marketing and heading toward a very different path, which was towards social justice and advocacy. So I ended up cold calling her, or rather cold emailing her, I guess. And I told her I was working on this project, which was really just an idea that I hoped would someday be a book and that her story was exactly the type of jump that I wanted to share. So Kelly O'Hara wrote me back and we became pen pals for the next two years. So fast forward 30 months later to today and I'm fortunate to have Kelly in my book and also to have Kelly on the When to Jump podcast that you'll hear shortly. Kelly O'Hara is a former marketing professional turned law school student with a jump that is in progress away from marketing, and toward the world of advocacy for sexual assault survivors. Kelly O'Hara, thank you for responding to my cold email, and thank you for joining me on the When to Jump podcast today.
0: Thank you. How's it going?
1: It's going. It's going. I, uh, I feel like you know it's still surreal to me that you answered a random email that I sent nearly two and a half years, more than two and a half years ago. What, why did you respond, first of all?
0: I got so many responses to that listserv email um, that I was not expecting to get. Um, And it was everything from your email to people who told me their stories with sexual violence. And um, it was just a way to sort of break um, out of the isolation that I think is pretty common for survivors. Um, There's still a lot of shame around sexual violence. There's still a lot of sense of like stigma and needing to keep quiet. Um, and all of a sudden I was getting these emails where people were on my side and I really felt like they were on my side. Um, and so that was why I was responding to them overall. Um, and your email, I don't know. I just like, I, I didn't think that someone was gonna wanna put me on their blog, let alone in their book. Um, I'm still kind of shocked that we made it here, but um, I really liked the project that you were taking on and I thought it was cool and I was flattered that you thought that what I was doing with my life was worth mentioning in that. Um, And yeah, I'm really happy I responded. I'm really happy that we're like actually friends now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Me too. So let's back up a bit for those who don't know the story. Uh, Bring us back to, was it your senior year in college, thinking about graduation? What was the world like for Kelly O'Hara at that time?
0: Yeah. So um, I, as a junior in undergrad. I studied abroad in Dublin, Ireland, and um, very early on in my program was sexually assaulted by another person on the program. Um, And because I was in another country and because I didn't really know anyone and because um, a lot of reasons, um, I never told anyone and I really struggled to sort of come to terms with what happened. Um, And then I got back to the States and I spent a lot of time trying to process that and, and come to terms with it. Um, and I was preparing to write my thesis as a senior. My thought was, well, this thing happened to me. I still don't know how to talk about it. Um, talking about it in an academic context feels a little bit easier. It felt a little bit more accessible to to write a paper than to have to, like, deal with things on my own. Um, and so as a senior, I decided to work on, um, work on a project – that was about sexual violence in this academic context um and that very quickly stopped being academic and started being personal if i was going to write a play i wanted it to be a play that spoke to people other than me and where people could look at it and see themselves um so i expanded the project um and second semester of my senior year ended up writing and producing um, and directing um this three-person show
1: yeah, that's incredible. But frame the context of you know, you were now months from graduating, you had interned in marketing. Describe a little bit of your family background. You know, the world was more easily understood, it seems like, in a corporate marketing advertising space. Like to tell us a little bit about that background you're coming from and, and kind of the crossroads you're you're nearing.
0: Yeah, so everyone in my family is in the sciences or math in some in some sense. Um, At the time, you know, there's a pretty set path of, you know, the corporate world is what makes sense and it's, you know, it's where we all go and it's what you do. Um, And they just like didn't really know what to make of uh, the drama major, American studies major, like child that they had. Um, And and I get it, um, but it was sort of hard for me um, to explain why, like why those are the things I cared about and what it meant to do that. Um, and so when I was thinking about what to do after graduation, um, because I had been on this marketing path and because it was one that made sense, it was like, well, okay, like this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. Um, so that was what I did and I got there and I really, I went into advertising. Um, I went to a, a big firm, um, in New York and it was, um, a really big deal and it was really prestigious and um, I just hated it. I just really, really hated it. I um, I just like I wasn't excited to go to work in the morning. I wasn't excited about what I was doing. Um, and I really struggle when I don't care about what I'm doing. Um,
1: yeah, and did, when you when you started there, at what how did you leave that project? you, you finished your major, you finished your thesis? Did it feel like it was put to rest at least on paper? like, okay, I guess I have to move on as you graduate and go into the real world?
0: It, in a lot of ways, Yes. Um, I didn't really feel like my work around sexual violence was done just because the show was done. Um, and when I moved to New York, um, I ended up volunteering as a rape crisis counselor.
1: Yeah. Describe kind of the that outlet and why that was almost a nice middle ground of saying, okay, I don't have to completely shut the door on something I'm really passionate about.
0: Um, it's really hard to talk about trauma all the time and to deal with trauma all the time. And uh, I knew that I wasn't quite ready to give up working on sexual violence issues overall. Um, But working on it as much as I had been uh, in college was just really exhausting and really draining. And um, I didn't feel able when I graduated from college to do that full time, Um, but I also wasn't ready to give up on it. Um, And so I uh, dated someone the summer after my senior year who was a crisis counselor in Boston and she uh, had really good things to say about it and, and hearing you know, the way that it worked for her um, made me interested in it. And so then when I moved to New York, I found a place that did, that had a similar program. So essentially the way that crisis counseling programs work or the one that I did, um, at night and on the weekends when they don't have a full-time social work staff, yeah. you come in and uh, you're on call, you have half an hour to get there um, so, like, overnight, I would just leave my phone on loud. And if, um, a survivor came in, um, they would call me, and then I would get to the hospital, and then I'd sort of walk them through whatever was happening. So, I'd provide emotional support, I'd, um, you know, explain the medical procedures, I'd explain, like, legal considerations, like if they wanted to involve the police, how, like, the police questioning would go, things like that. So, At the time, it felt like doing that on a volunteer, part-time basis was a way to moderate the stress of dealing with that rather than doing it full-time. I thought it would be easier to do it, you know, Um, Mm part-time, which was maybe true for a while. uh, And then I realized that I just cared about that so much more than my day job.
1: As you looked at what you were doing there how did you start to think this could be something i do more and more Uh,
0: there were a couple cases where i felt like i didn't actually help very much which is really hard um you know folks who had issues that were just like sort of beyond the scope of what i could help with and there were people who came in um, already in police custody and people who came in um with mental health issues and people who came in and just like you know didn't didn't trust me didn't trust anything that was happening and so the the types of issues I was facing suddenly became a lot more complex than what I had been used to previously. And something that kept coming up was a lot of the people were most concerned about the legal ramifications and what was going to happen next. And I realized that I just like didn't have the resources to help to help them do that. So I was starting to feel both more invested in and more powerless. Um, and at the same time, in advertising, I was working for a toothpaste company and yeah, I will, that shower remained nameless. Um, I have no problems with people who like, who want to work in that field, but just for me, it felt so like hollow. It just felt so empty. Um, and it's really hard to be in an environment where everyone thinks that, especially advertising, um, in New York is, it's a pretty big industry. It's pretty, um,
1: like it's pretty cream th- of the crop there and
0: yeah, and it's like, you know, there are a lot of, um, it's very fancy, there are a lot of parties, there are a lot of, um, you know, it's like kind of a scene. Um, and so especially people who are like invested in that, um, like can, couldn't really imagine like wanting to do anything else. Um, and, and
1: here that- you were being like, there's this whole other side of me that it's so far from what i'm doing right here.
0: Yeah, and it also like the other hard part was that the job i had was a re- like a for that industry it was a really amazing job. Um and so i was like so lucky, like i was doing this thing that a lot of people would kill for straight out of college and i just didn't care. Um and i sort of felt like a jerk for not <laughs> for not caring because i was like, wow, this is an opportunity that a lot of people would kill for and i just like can't bring myself to
1: Yeah. And you described this feeling of being more invested, but being more powerless in terms of not having the legal background and the, the foundation to draw on. There was, it seems like one point where it came to a head where you like, I got I to gotta fully jump. Can you describe that experience, I guess?
0: Yeah, so um, on St. Patrick's Day, back in, must have been 2015, I got a call at like 11 p.m., was like hey you need to come in and I showed up and it was someone around my age and they were really sweet and because they were around my age and because like a lot of the things that they were experiencing like I sort of understood um we really hit it off uh they told me at one point that I reminded them of their sister I just buzzed my hair and I was wearing a beanie because I didn't like how it looked and um the patient was like do you have really short hair? And I was like, yeah, I just buzzed it. And they, were like, <laughs> oh. and they were like, oh, my sister has really short hair. Like, like you really remind me of her. And so it was like things like that where we were just really connecting on a personal level. And it felt nice. Like, and it felt like, like that felt really helpful. Like it felt really helpful to be there. One of the nurses came in um, and thought that I was like a friend who had come with the patient as opposed to the advocate. Wow. It was really nice for me to hear as, an advocate because that's what you want right like you want people to trust you to the extent that like they want to open up to you so yeah I ended up being there all night I was in like yoga pants and this like oversized sweatshirt and didn't have time to change so I went to my like fancy Manhattan job in yoga <laughs> pants and a sweatshirt and like you know didn't hadn't brushed my teeth and like stumbled in um and I was so exhausted and I was sitting there and I was like I can't I can't I can't do this. Like I spent all night doing something that was really hard, but really fulfilling. And I did something and like now people are yelling about toothpaste and I just do not care.
1: What, um, so what happened next? You, you, you decide to quit and, and, and start applying to law school. And, and then, and then what, where are you now?
0: Yeah. So I, um, I quit. I, um, you know, really studied on the LSAT. Um, I helped out with the startup because it had a more flexible schedule. Um, and ended up getting into my dream school, which is Berkeley law. And Woo! now I'm, yeah, I'm a second year student at Berkeley right now.
1: And what did your parents feel about all this? Like how, from a different kind of place like you said on the political spectrum and also just the corporate and and background spectrum what was that like over time as you and i'm sure pretty tough obviously going after something very personal to you
0: so actually my mother has been telling me since legally blonde came out that i should be a lawyer Um,
1: (laughs) i love that movie is that weird to say
0: (laughs) no i um so my 1l year was really hard and um there's a like a meme that that had popped up at various points that was like, you have to go through your Elwoods Woods crying in a bunny costume phase before you can get to your Elwoods Woods cooking, like kicking ass at law school and life phase. And so for Halloween last year, I was Elwoods. Woods. Um, oh,
1: classic. So I love
0: that, that movie. But uh, yeah. so like the idea of law school overall was something that they could get behind. Um, the thing that, and I get this from a, from a parental perspective, like my, my dad in particular, Um, has just like expressed several times that he's worried that I'm doing something that is making me unhappy um, and that I like picked this really hard thing and this like really traumatic thing and that I'm just like putting myself in like in harm's way basically by by trying to take this on and something I've articulated to him um, that I think is important is like if I didn't work in the area of sexual violence, it's not like I'd stop being affected by it or stop being upset by it or stop caring about it. My what drives me to be in this is the fact that I feel like I like, you know, it's it's like a a thing that I have to do. And like the like the pain that I feel and the like the the amount that I have a hard time with that topic is because it's a problem in the world, not because I've chosen to pursue it as a career. Um but I also get you know, I get from a parent's perspective why you wouldn't want your kid to like be doing this like really hard, upsetting thing all the time. Um, at this point, they like respect they respect what I'm trying to do. They're really proud of me. Um, like, it helps that I go to a, like a really good law school, <laughs> frankly. Um, and you know, on paper, it's definitely like I've done I've done a lot of things right, which like I don't think, I don't think is the marker of success. I like some of the smartest people I know. You know. Like some of the smartest people I know like in terms of legal stuff like will never touch law school Um, But it's like easier I think um, Like coming from a family where there are sort of like standard markers for success one of them being like education was always super important in my family Um, And like the legal world in general is something that like they can sort of wrap their heads around Um, and so that Has made it a little bit easier um it's just like the actual, the actual thing I'm trying to pursue that they, it's not that they disapprove or don't want me to do it. They just like, it's, taken or... take in some getting used to. Yeah.
1: And what, what would, uh, you know, you say to, to folks that they could apply to their own lives who are listening to this, you know, that have nothing in common with you and your story and your interests. What is your takeaways from, from your jump? You know, what would you tell people?
0: I think being honest with yourself is really important. Um, and being honest about what is holding you back from making that change. Um, like, is it fear? Is that fear substantiated? Is that fear like something you can deal with or something that can't be, you know, like my ability to go to law school was, made easier by the fact that I, like, had the financial resources to do so and, like, you know, had, you know, had the ability to, you know, I test pretty well, so I did well in the LSAT, like, you know, all these things that, like, allowed me to go down that path. Um, and, like, that's not true for everyone. And, like, I think it's it's okay to, like, be honest with yourself about, like, what you can handle. And, like, I think there are things that you can be passionate about and not do full-time. Um,
1: and there's probably things you shouldn't do full time that you're passionate about.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think just like being as honest as possible about what, um, like, why is that what you're trying to do? And is it something that, like, is sustainable? Is it something that's fulfilling? Um, and, like, for me, just like the amount, like, what the game changer when I was thinking about when to jump was, like, why, like, why is this what I want to do? Like, why is this what's calling to me? And, like, is that. I don't want to call it practical, but, like, what part of me is, like, driving me towards this? And I I just realized that, like, the part of me that was pulling me towards it was, like, the part of me that felt most, most authentic, I guess. Like, that was the part of me that, like, felt like I was doing, like, it, this was what I felt like I should be doing.
1: Don't not jump because you want to keep some... Optics or percept perception of your life, but then don't also make a jump so that it fits some sort of buckets, too
0: Yeah, I think I mean because like flip side if I had I think if I tried to go to law school If I wasn't absolutely convinced that this is what I wanted to do I'd be really unhappy because law school is really hard um, and if I didn't feel like I was able to like tell my story as much as I am um ha- Telling it as much as I do would be really hard and really traumatizing um, and so I think that like for me, um, both deciding like if to jump, when to jump, things like that. Like it all boils down to like, are you being honest with yourself about your motivations? And like, are you doing it for the right reasons? And like, is it going to bring you like joy and fulfillment? And um, like, are you doing it for yourself and not for other people?
1: How do you push forward knowing that this new path and this jump isn't necessarily all set in stone and anywhere near certain?
0: Um, I think it requires a lot of faith in myself. Um, which is easier said than done. Um, but you know, there are a lot of mornings where I wake up and I'm like, what, like what have I done? Why am I, you know, I moved from New York to California. I like left all of my humans, like, uh, you know, especially last year, I was like, there are a lot of times where I woke up in the morning and I was like, what the, what the heck? Like what, who thought this was a good idea? Um, and I think it was just like having faith in why I did it and having faith in my judgment. Um, and, having faith that I like, I didn't rush into anything. Like everything I've done has been deliberate and has like been with like a goal in mind. Um, and has like, I've gotten, you know, feedback from a lot of like really incredible people and like, you know, made sure that I like surround myself with people who like are honest with me and can support me and, um, like are sort of like helping me stay on the right path. Um, and so I think it just like, at a certain point, it's knowing that I've put in the work and like trusting my gut and um, like remembering that I'm doing this for a reason. And um, yeah, that's easier said than done a lot of the times, but so far it's worked out. And I think that I spent a lot of time um, looking back on, you know, the last time, the last couple of times where I was like, well, this is a terrible idea. It's not going to go right. And then it was fine um and you know i did something and i thought it was going to go terribly and it didn't um and so i think just like building up that confidence and remembering that i you know i i got this i got this far for a reason and i did i'm doing this for a reason um and and knowing that i like having confidence in myself and what i believe in um has really like allowed me to do that um that being said i still really 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 wish i had a five-year plan um
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right well kelly o'hara thank you for responding to my cold email out of the blue a couple years ago and for interviewing and being a part of my book and for coming on the show today thank you so much for sharing your story with me
0: thank you for um for having me and for your friendship and i'm so happy that like we have gotten here
1: Thanks for listening to the When to Jump podcast. The show is produced by me, Alex Abnos, for Macmillan Podcasts. The senior editor for the network is Alyssa Martino. You can find out more about us and our other great shows at macmillanpodcasts.com. When to Jump is a global community connecting people that want to make a big change in their life. You can find out more at whentojump.com and follow on social media across all platforms at whentojump, all one word. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun, yeah, you get it every time.